Welcome to NECEC's Navigate podcast sponsored by NYSERDA. I'm your presenter and Navigate director, Catarina Madeira. In this episode, we'll talk about the utility sector and its future. For that, we have with us Christina Land from AES and Praveen Madabushi from National Grid Partners. Thank you so much for joining us and for completing the short survey we have in this podcast description. Hope everybody is, uh, first of all, staying safe and uh, healthy, uh, their loved ones uh, all staying safe and healthy. Um, and thanks again to uh, to uh, New York and uh, Clean Tech Navigate and NECEC for having us over. Um, so quickly about uh, National Grid itself, uh, we are a utility in the Northeast and in the UK, or in the UK and in the Northeast. Uh, mandate is to sort of uh, drive the uh, edge of energy innovation, if you will, the next uh, next generation of and the future of uh, the transition to broadly three things, uh, decarbonization, decentralization, and digitization. I'm sure you've heard of it. Uh, within National Grid, uh, we have uh, a arm that is managing innovation uh, called the National Grid Partners, and I'm part of National Grid Partners. Uh, the mandate for National Grid Partners is to make investments, uh, meaning invested startups in the, uh, in the broader energy space, um, and also sort of foster innovation within National Grid. So we do have initiatives where we sort of uh, spin in and spin out uh, entrepreneurial ideas from within the organization as well. Uh, the focus is mainly around uh, sort of think of it as emerging technologies overlapping with uh, the broader energy space and the overlap is where we play um, <clears throat> sort of software and energy for a more uh, smarter and renewable future if you will uh, we do invest in both uh, sort of strict for strategic and financial returns you'll you'll hear a lot about uh, strategic and financial returns, uh, we do both. Uh, we want uh, to have financial returns, so we are very aligned with the typical VC, but we also want some of these investments to be very strategic to national grid. Uh, and there's both an early stage investing team and a, a later stage investing team within national grid partners. And uh, yeah, so love to hear more from Christina as well. Christina, you want to? Go ahead. Yes, thanks, Raghu, and thanks to Katarina and the hosts and organizers of this event. This is a great way to uh, conclude 2020. So thank you very much for the invitation. So again, my name is Christina Lund, and I am uh, with AES, and I'm president of our US utilities. And just a little bit about AES to give you some context. Uh, AES is an international energy company. We operate in markets around the world. And we are um, primarily focused on electricity generation, transmission, and distribution. And we have large platforms with some or all of those business lines in 14 countries. And in addition to that, we have uh, scalable ecosystems for innovation. And so in particular, we, you may be familiar with Fluence, which is a joint venture that we have with Siemens. And we are one of the 
uh, leading providers of battery energy storage in the world. We are also an investor in Uplight, which is a digital customer engagement platform. And finally, we recently announced a, an investment in 5B, which is a solar technology innovator in Australia. And so we really see these scalable ecosystems as key to the future of energy. And we are um, growing those businesses across the United States and internationally. So I've been with AES now coming up on 15 years and I've worked uh, with most of our businesses in the portfolio over that time period. I've lived internationally uh, with AES. I um, spent one year in Europe, covering Europe and Asia, and then also lived for two years in Panama uh, with, part, with uh, overseeing the financial matters for our um, Mexico, Central America and Caribbean business unit. And then as I mentioned right now, I am president of the US Utilities. This is a role that I took recently and we have um, two regulated electric utilities. We have Indianapolis Power and Light in Indiana, and we have Dayton Power and Light in Ohio. And between these two platforms, we serve 1 million customers in those states. And today, as we go through this, I will focus my comments on both innovation and opportunities for startups and early stage investing at the AES level, at the parent company and corporate level, as well as at the, um, the utility level where I'm currently spending most of my time. Um, just a couple of comments quickly, if that's all right, about the innovation, both at the AES level and at the utilities. So first at the global level, uh, we're really proud that we were um, nominated to the list of the best workplace for innovators by Fast Company this year. And as you may expect, there were not too many um, utility companies on that list. And we were very, very pleased to be included there. And so just how we've thought about innovation and um, engagement with startups at the, at the parent company is really twofold. One is we've had a longstanding program for innovation called Apex. And what we do there is we encourage every single employee in the company to pitch ideas for how to make our core business more efficient and provide better service for our customers. But we also have um, a group called AES Next, which is our business and technology incubator. And uh, AES Next has been involved, if not leading all of those um, uh, scalable ecosystems that I mentioned earlier. So the leadership of AES Next pioneered uh, grid scale battery energy storage, um, AES Next um, began our relationship with uh, the predecessor companies to Uplight. And one of our um, most um, successful ac uh, acquisitions by folks in AES Next was uh, a solar company, a distributed solar company called Main Street Power, which is now AES Ener uh, Distributed Energy. And uh, AES Distributed en Energy has a number of projects uh, in New York. In fact, we have more than 100 megawatts operating across New York, um, including in, in um, demand zones for PSEG, Orange and Rockland, National Grid, uh, and Rochester Gas and Electric. And some of our customers in New York are Anheuser-Busch, Columbia University, as well as some community solar customers. 
We're also present, uh, AIS Distributed Energy also has projects across New England, including in Rhode Island and in Massachusetts. And we have a lot of energy storage and solar energy projects in development and operations across New England and New York. So those are great markets for us. And really AES Next overall is looking for the next big uh, revenue, potential revenue stream for AES. And so this is uh, where most of our engagement with startups and the next technology happens. And so um, the final thing I'll mention is just how does innovation happen at the regulated utility level? And so at the regulated utility level, we do not make equity investments into early stage companies, but we do have a long track record of um, partnering with early stage companies to develop proof of concept or proof of solution projects that can um, provide help us to provide better service to our customers and also provide new and innovative, innovative services to our customers. And so just a couple examples of that um, was the first uh, battery energy storage project that we did was actually at a um, substation of IPL. And so that, you know, was a very important proof of solution project for us. Um, on the digital side, uh, IPL has worked with Uplight to allow customers access to technologies through its marketplace that will help customers optimize energy usage in the home. And then finally, um, uh, there is a, an electric vehicle um, company called Motor um, that provides electric vehicle um, kind of services to reduce the friction of adoption of electric vehicles in Indianapolis. And that is a, a company um, that has um, partnered with IPL in looking at how to increase EV adoption in Indianapolis. I'm a motor customer, huge fan of, of the service. <laughs> That's an aside. So anyway, those are my, my uh, comments about innovation at the parent company and at the utility level. And thanks again for the invite. This is a great opportunity um, to talk about what's next. Thanks, Christina. This is, uh, this is um, I mean, the perspective is, is extremely valuable. So I'm really interested in, uh, you know, getting to know more. Um, so, I, I see you have a set of portfolios of um, trends or technologies that you're not chasing, but that you're that you're um, you know making real. So, so typically, from a, if you if you wear a U.S. based utility hat uh, and think through the sort of the energy future and say, what are those key problems that potentially and over a five to ten year period, what are those key problems that you think need to be addressed, uh, whether it's from a, from a startup point of view or from a, from a utility point of view, but uh, it'll be interesting to get your perspective. Sure, absolutely. So our mission or purpose at AES is to accelerate the future of energy together. And that word together is really important because we believe very strongly that the future of energy requires not only energy companies, but strong partnerships with our customers, with our communities, and with many diverse business partners. And you know, just to what we see really as the future of energy is eventually we expect energy will be carbon-free and fully digital, you know, and we expect a full adoption of digital technologies to help us get there. 
And so just as a starting point, you know, roughly a little bit more than two thirds of energy generation in the United States of electricity generation in the United States is from coal and gas. And so obviously this, this vision of carbon free is something that is uh, in the future and we need to think very hard about the transition to that future. And so as we think about the transition, what we need to do is have all of our current technologies work together differently with new technologies so that we are optimizing first reliability for our customers that does remain um, essential. And we, we've all experienced that during COVID that if we didn't have our reliable energy during this very difficult year, you know, this kind of work from home and all of the new ways that we've learned to work and collaborate would not have been possible. So reliability during this period is essential. Secondly, we need to keep a laser focus on affordability um, because, you know, it's been a difficult year economically and we all want the economy to recover um, as quickly as possible. And so affordability will be very important during this transition. And then as I think about the opportunities um, to solve these challenges of reliability, affordability, and then of course, better environmental performance, um, we really see four key areas for um, investment and focus. So one is uh, rapid deployment of renewables and battery energy storage, and then really the kind of the peripheral technologies that are needed to make those technologies work together better to achieve the reliability, affordability, and, and uh, um, environmental objectives. So we, we expect that and this has been true already in the United States for a long time, that most new power generation investment has been going into renewables. And we expect that to continue because the technologies will continue to get more efficient and less expensive for customers. Uh, the second bucket is really digital tools. And here, this is at the on the first side is really about how can we make our um, generation transmission distribution assets operate more efficiently and achieve better reliability for our customers. And our customers now are used to, you know, Amazon 24/7, um, you know, um, availability of products and services. And so the bar is being raised for utilities. And we need to figure out how we can um, achieve our customers, how how we can serve our customers customers needs now and get to the um, future expectations that they have for us. Then the third element of it, but very related to digital, is what we call um, the grid of the future. And it's a concept of advanced energy networks. And so the future of energy is not going to be only centralized power stations that distribute, transmit and distribute energy in one direction. But we're going to have distributed resources all throughout our network. And we need the network to be able to um, synchronize and orchestrate all of these different devices and sources and uses of energy uh, in a more optimal way. Again, always focused on reliability, affordability, and environmental. And so digital tools will help us operate more efficiently, but also orchestrate and optimize differently. And finally, and I think most importantly, is our customers our, are now expecting new services from us. It's no longer enough just to provide the electrons, but we need to help our customers achieve their business goals, their sustainability goals, and personal goals that they have at home 
and at the workplace. And so I see utilities now um, investing in new services that will serve our customers now and into the future. So those are really our, our big buckets for utility investment. Super, super. I mean, it's it's actually interesting. It's very aligned. Uh, I mean, it's not surprising. It's pretty aligned with what uh, uh, National Grid has been talking about. Uh, you know, here they they capture it as a you know the three Ds, right? So we touched on decarbonization quite a bit. Um, I think just to add to what uh, what you touched on, there are things around uh, efficient homes, like heating, thermal efficiency. Uh, I've heard about negative emission systems, you know, like carbon capture, biomass storage. So all of that, I think, falls in that decarbonization thing. And then, yeah, you you also touched on decentralization. Uh, I think the whole uh, sort of IoT sort of backbone, if you will, to, to drive that decentralization uh, is something that we've called out quite a bit. And my mandate obviously is more around digitization. So sort of hunting with a digitization roadmap and playbook. Uh, so we can touch a little bit on that as well. Um, that would be great. All right. What are sort of some of your themes for, for the early stage investing and in particular with digitization? Because that's such a huge topic. Yeah, so days. I think the way, uh, the way we look at it uh, is in two buckets. Um, one is sort of, infrastructure within the enterprise or digital infrastructure within the enterprise. So everything around cloud, data management, uh, decision-making, cybersecurity, all of those things. And obviously you have technology buckets as well, AI, machine learning. There's a lot of uh, distributed ledger related technologies that are becoming more adopted. So, so that's uh, digital in data infrastructure within the enterprise. And then like you touched on operational performance and efficiency, that's a little bit outside of the enterprise. So asset management. Uh, so so uh, the, way I, the way I looked at it was there is data infrastructure. So everything around uh, uh, compute infrastructure, the traditional IT infrastructure, and then there is the operational side of things, so operational infrastructure, IoT, uh, even even AI and all that, it falls in that broader, if you have a network of assets, how do you optimize them? How do you uh, manage their life cycles? Uh, how do you get operational visibility? So all that needs to be instrumented. There are like sensor systems and all that. So that, those are the two buckets that, that are themes that we, uh, we are very interested in. That's great. That seems very... Um consistent with with the way yeah, we're and, and from from your like are you are you seeing some uh, some emerging themes around some of these areas um, in these broad buckets yeah yeah so um right now we have large programs uh under deployment so i'm going to talk for a minute at the utilities level so we have um, large smart grid programs um, under development in both indiana and ohio and, and so that's, a, you know, a digital um, component of it, as well as some hardware associated with that. And, and in addition, we have um, some procurement going on on the generation side. But as I think, of, and again, that speaks to the decarbonization and the renewables and battery energy storage. Um, in addition to that, uh, we are looking at, at the AES level now, 
Um, our AES Next group, as I mentioned, is a business and technology incubator. And so maybe I should talk for a little bit about how we, we look at that. So we have a, a dedicated group and a target uh, funding level of roughly 10% um, of our investment cash flow. <laughs> Excuse me. And so what that could mean is actually up to say $300 million for investment through AES Next over the next five years. So that's a very sizable pool of funds for investment. And what we're looking at there is for early stage companies uh, that are focused on the next, um, the next thing, that's why we call it AES Next. <laughs> uh, but then something that would be new um, to our, our AES portfolio. And as we think about what that could be, it's very important that customer focus and, and the next um, step change experience in customer service is um, one of our key screening criteria. And then the other thing we do is we would, we really focus on technologies and solutions that have applicability across our platform. And yes, it's great if there is a benefit to the core business from these new technologies, but that's actually a one component. But what we really want to do is use our AES global platforms to accelerate the development of the, um, the new idea or revenue stream. And so, you know, a lot of times strategic investors look to what can they add to their core business. And of course we like that, but really what we want to do is say, hey, we have this huge portfolio. How can we accelerate the new ideas by partnering and collaborating across this portfolio? And we think that's a, um, a bit of a differentiator for how we think about it. Do you have something kind of similar? How do you, what are some of the ways that um, your technologies are benefiting from the partnership with the National Grid overall organization? Yeah, I think, so there are, uh, I think I touched on it, there are three broad uh, groups within the National uh, National Grid Partners, right, uh, within my organization. One is the late, later stage investing team. So they are making very strategic, but uh, equity investments uh, in uh, startups. And, and this is a little bit more mature uh, startups, meaning these are, uh, they already have products and services that can be deployed or are already deployed within the broader national grid, uh, you know, family. Uh, so those tend to be very strategic. Not to say they are not sort of horizon technologies. It's still, it's technologies that you cannot um, acquire from established, uh, uh, established technology companies, right? Uh, so that's that. That's one. The second bucket is is you know my my uh, the group that I'm part of within national uh, within NGP, where we are looking very much in a in a uh, five plus year horizon. So it's very unlikely that uh, some of these technologies uh, they they don't even have uh, products that can be quickly deployed. But we we do feel like, feel that this is where the puck is going. Uh, so we, we want to anticipate where uh, the industry is going and where national grid's needs are. And we want to look at national, national grid as an archetype for the broader uh, utility space. So, so that's the second bucket. And then the third bucket is interesting, which is we still want to engage with the business units to uh, surface uh, 
sort of innovation or ideas from inside out. Right? There's there's the outside in perspective, but there is this uh, team that is looking at okay, you know, uh, encourage employees to come up with ideas or at least come up with problems that are worth solving, and provide the toolkit to have them go through the process of figuring out okay, what how can I address these problems? Is this problem worth going and solving? So those those are the three sort of broad sort of legs of the stool that uh, we've seen work. Do you want to take, there are a bunch of questions coming up. Uh, I'm wondering if we should, if we should uh, try and address one or two. Uh, yeah, great idea. Yeah, the first one is more around uh, uh, suggestion to take a look at, a look at uh, better cleaning technologies. Uh, I, I will spend some time on that. The second one is around do you see biomass-based electricity generation relevant from a decarbonization perspective? Is there potential for new uh, dispatchable small hydro in your utilities in the U.S. and Europe? Um, you should you should address it. I mean, biomass sure. is something uh, that is uh, explicitly called out, so we are looking at that. But love love to have you touch on sure. it. Sure, I'm happy to. Do you want to talk about the cooling one? First, the cleaning and cooling. Did you say yeah, you wanted to address ahead, that one? Go yeah, go ahead. Okay. So what I what I can say on um, on that that question is so we have uh, through Uplight uh, a a marketplace uh, where our customers can um, purchase devices for the home that will help with energy optimization. So the thing that comes to mind for me is uh, say smart thermostats and other technologies like that that will help customers have a very seamless experience in terms of locating the right technology, getting it installed, and then to the extent that there are incentives provided through um, energy efficiency programs in a particular area, um, the marketplace can also help tap into those rebates and other programs. And so we do see that this type of service of helping our customers achieve their objectives by whatever de device could work for them and making sure that they have access to the programs and savings from that is a very important service that we're doing now and, and look to uh, do more of that in the future. What are the programs that you have related to kind of building optimization on the heating and cooling side? I have, I am not, like I said, I'm, you know. My, Sorry, I misunderstood. I thought you said you did want to. Yeah. I said I'll, I'll spend some time understanding what that is. I mean, I'll, I'll take some time out and uh, read it, but no. Got I, it. I, no, no, I, that's fine. Yeah, I, I, since my man, I mean, I'm looking more at the IT infrastructure and, and sort of the data infrastructure. Uh, that's, yeah, that, that those are the areas that I can touch on. Uh, there's one other interesting question around how do you look at time horizons in your investment strategy? Do you anticipate being able to help accelerator, uh, help accelerate, I guess, uh, and quickly scale innovation, innovative technology? So what, I can touch a little bit and love, love your perspective. Like I said, there are uh, easily there are at least two time horizons that we are looking at uh, for the strategic ones that are uh, more think of them as series you know B and later. Um, they already have some products that are already deployed in the marketplace. Uh, so these are startups that can that can ramp up pretty fast. And then there are sort of uh, beyond the horizon technologies, which uh, our team typically invests in. And uh, for those, uh, you know, I know 
the word disruptive is is overused these days but that's the that's the bucket that we uh, are looking looking to invest in uh, meaning very risky but with a large financial return and and from an impact point of view something that can reinvent the technology stack or the infrastructure stack uh, so that's more a you know 3 to uh, 7 year uh, time horizon and 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 hence the expectation from uh, expectation from uh, the types of problems that they are going after will be much different meaning we want them to be going after large problems uh, as opposed to sort of incremental so we're really looking at 10x type of problems in in whatever axis you look at yeah sure yeah so for us uh, for AES next we really look at the kind of medium term, I would call it medium term horizon of three to five years. And so our screening is um, based on a few things. So one is the time horizon, say three to five years, we're looking for it to, to have the potential to be a material contributor to AES overall. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we're really looking for technologies and solutions that have a step change in client experience. So we see a lot of potential to be creating new products and services for our customers. And so that's something that we're very focused on in our screening. And then the other thing I mentioned is a very good collaboration potential with the core business so that we can help the technology and solution develop faster and um, achieve scale faster. So that's kind of how we we think about the, um, I will, just a couple of things. I do want to make sure I'm clear that we look at investments of many different sizes. So we're, we sometimes do investments down in the single million dollars. We do have, like I mentioned, you know, up to $300 million over the next five years, but we do look at at investments of many sizes. So there's not like a threshold that says it has to be say $20 million or something like that. In fact, we just did a series A of under $10 million recently. Yeah. And really, you know, as we think about our investments, what we want to help the um, portfolio companies do is really prove the solution. And a lot of times if we can do that on our platform, that helps everybody. We want to help them then prove the commercial vi viability of the project or solution. And then finally, develop a pathway to scale. And so our activities are really focused on an initial project that will prove the solution, then how do we commercialize it? And finally, how do we make it big? And to do that, we really focus on understanding obviously the technology or solution, but then also what are the challenges? What are the business pain points and constraints? Because we have this portfolio of companies, we may be able to address those in ways where other investors cannot. And so um, we wanna work together with our portfolio companies to kind of identify the pain points and then find a way together to solve them. Is that similar to yeah yeah no approach? I think you touched on uh, touched on something uh, you know I think we in, in some ways this is a logical transition to okay now you know we touched on a few themes uh, from the utility energy industry point of view uh, if we look at it from okay I am a startup or um, you know this is this is what I'm trying to build um, what are the things I should be looking out for so you touched on a few things one is um, uh, 
the need to sort of pick the right problem uh, because you know the, the classic quote is uh, startups fail not because they don't have the right solution they they uh, you know 90% of the startups fail because they've not picked the right problem to go after. Uh, there are some very, very broad characteristics that you can attach to some of these problems. One, you want them to be big enough uh, so that uh, as you build solutions and uh, you can capture much larger value. Uh, but you touched on something very interesting, which is as you, as a startup, as you validate some of these problems, by working with the uh, with the utilities, uh, you can get to some really interesting use cases, uh, which almost seems like the first step uh, for you to validate your your problems by you know working with the business units and for them to give you feedback. Uh, that seems like a you know because especially for a startup, it's it's one thing to sell sort of to consumers and it's very difficult. I get that. It's another thing to sell to enterprises, that's also difficult, I get that. But you know, it's like one layer above that. They sell to utilities, man, it's it's like a regulated industry. There's like so many things that a typical startup wouldn't uh, expect. Uh, so partnering with, uh, whether it's a capital partner or a strategic partner, uh, partnering with the utility at that early stage when you're trying to validate the problem, it's not even product market fit, I'm talking like problem solution fit at that stage, seems like extremely valuable for a startup. I wonder what, what, I mean, what you've heard uh, along those lines. Yes, no, I would agree with that um, completely. And so, you know, what we try to do, you know, if I were to, if someone were to say, you know, what, what advice um, would you give to someone looking to partner with a strategic investor in energy um, and, you know, a company like say National Grid or AES, um, you know, there's a few things that I would say. One is we're looking for exponential growth in something new. And so it's important that we can understand what the addressable market is, how sizable could that be? And so having some very good data and ability to lay out that potential and we'll help, you know, we're, we're, of course, we've got our own perspective and can add to that, but that's really the first thing that we're going to look at. Uh, secondly, is we do have capital um, available for investment in companies of all sizes, uh, but we're not just capital. And so for us, there does need to be a good angle for collaboration across the portfolio. And again, it's not only to just how can we make our core better, but really how can our core help the new technology? Um, thirdly would be, what are the pain points? What are the challenges that this business is finding in rolling out a new solution or technology? And then collaborating with us to um, try and understand, can, is there a way our core can help overcome some of those challenges or at least, you know, figure out how to um, develop a plan to to address them over time. And then finally, having a, um, a a recommendation for a proof of solution project. So a lot of times, it's easier to start off with something kind of small, um, where there's a clear view of where we want to go. But let's prove first that we can do it. Let's work together and find the right application for this technology, 
and show that it can be done because nothing builds success like a little bit of success to start. So um, we really do look for a way to kind of um, add on in a small way, see that it works and then iterate from there. Really, if we can show that this, uh, to, for us to test the, the service is a great way to start a relationship with us. What advice would you give to? I, I, I like the crawl walk on uh, paradigm that, that you touched on. Um, I wouldn't say advice, but what I'm seeing is uh, given it's a regulated utility, there are things that uh, the utility can and cannot do. Uh, you know, typically these deployments have to be competitive and uh, in, in, you know, it's almost like keeping the church and state separate here. Uh, we as the investor cannot influence the business unit to necessarily adopt one over the other, even if it's a portfolio company. Um, but there are scope, uh, there is scope to doing early POCs, uh, smaller, smaller scale, um, which is kind of what you were hinting at, meaning, meaning uh, start with a very fo very focused use case, very focused uh, um, like proof point that you really want to prove out, uh, especially for the very early stage. If you're if you're much later stage, then then you know you want to compete with uh, with others. And uh, yes, but for the early stage, I think um, yeah, going from uh, here's a limited proof 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 point more for for yourself uh, to validate that. The problem is indeed uh, indeed real, and the problem is indeed worth solving, and problem is indeed um, sort of valuable to solve. Uh, I think is you know early stage. I, I you know I keep telling almost like use the MVP as a means to learn about the problem than about actually deploying the solution. It's very difficult to do, uh, but it's just a it's just a mindset at least for the software. Um, you know, services and products, uh, it seems like that's how you can be this quite a bit early on. You can make a lot of mistakes early on and, and that's what the investor in many ways pays you to, to do, meaning they want you to explore uh, around the problem and validate the problem. Actually, I see um, just on the chat, uh, maybe there are a couple of questions on hydrogen, biomass and hydro, and I realize that I, I forgot to comment on those earlier. So maybe I'll jump in um, there just for a minute if that's good for you. No, no that, that's useful. I, I, I don't have anything to add, so you should, you should take Sure, it yeah, no, I'm happy to. So, so in terms of the future of generation, uh, of uh, energy generation, electricity generation, we do see that in many markets, renewables, and in particular, solar and wind, are um, becoming the lowest cost, if not already uh, the lowest cost source of energy um, in, in most geographies across the United States. However, uh, obviously the sun doesn't shine all the time, the wind doesn't blow all the time, and we are believers that it will take a combination of technologies to get to the energy future. In terms of biomass, this is one that can um, you know, in the industry, we call it dispatchable, but biomass is um, a technology that can be used to fill in gaps um, for when say other, other um, renewables are not available. So the application can work uh, well, and it does, it does depend a lot though on the specific circumstance because the fuel for the biomass, whether it's wood pellets or other kinds of 
of biomass um, ultimately do need to be very cost competitive. And so if you have to ship the wood pellets, you know, a very long distance, um, you know, those types of things can make it more challenging. But I do think that there will be a role for biomass in certain locations uh, where the fuel is readily available and, um, and the prices support it. For hydro, um, that is a very, uh, it's a great resource. AES has a number of hydro facilities, mostly in Latin America. I used to work in Panama, as I mentioned, and Panama is a great country for hydro, Brazil. And so uh, hydro is a really important energy resource and we see it remaining that way. It is generally hard to do new hydro projects. And so it's hard to imagine that there's going to be a lot of new large significant hydro projects. We don't see that. However, we do see opportunities on kind of new use cases for existing hydro plants and you know, looking at repowerings and other things. And so there's some really interesting innovation uh, going on there. So we do expect um, some growth in hydro, but um, again, just sort of the, some of the natural constraints around, there's already a lot of hydro that's been done and, and because it is more difficult to implement um, we think those are some of the, the pressures there, but definitely it's a part of the solution. Uh, in terms of, of hydrogen, hydrogen is very interesting. And so if, as I think about emerging themes on the generation side, green hydrogen is one that's getting a lot more um, attention these days. And I would expect that that will continue as the cost of renewables uh, comes down and you're able to produce the hydrogen at a more economic cost, um, a more competitive cost, excuse me, uh, that, that hydrogen will be a part of the solution. Again, what's so interesting is that because wind and solar are just coming down so fast, um, it puts a lot of pressure on new technologies to be competitive. And so that's the thing that we're still waiting for is a real breakthrough on the cost of hydrogen, but certainly there's a lot of great companies focused on it and and working on it. And I think it's definitely possible that the cost competitiveness could be there in kind of the medium term timeframe. So okay. I hope that answers the- um... Fascinating perspective, yeah. Um, I can, uh, so, so on the investment side itself, uh, you know, what is the smallest investment size, sweet spot? Uh, like I said, there are two buckets. Uh, since I'm looking more at the early stage, we can go as early as pre-seed, which is uh, a fancy word for saying, oh, it's a couple of uh, folks with, uh, with an idea and PowerPoint and uh, uh, understand what they want to go solve and maybe have some, you know, I don't want to say track record, but some some idea of why they are the ones that should be, we'll take a bit, we'll take a bit on them. Um, but typically the sweet spot is uh, seed stage deals, which is they've built an MVP, have uh, maybe a couple of uh, core customers giving them feedback. Uh, they understand and they've validated the problem to be interesting. Uh, so seeds, the sort of quintessential sweet spot for us, but we'll also go series A. Um, so that's in the uh, early stage. Now in the later stage, we can go, uh, you know, all the way from series B to much, much, much later on. And we will lead, uh, meaning we will uh, uh, we'd actually prefer to lead uh, the rounds and you know, at least to uh, at least to co-lead, simply because uh, 
Uh, we want to take a board position. We want to be active in the sense that we want to enable this rollout within the broader energy energy ecosystem. So um, being on the board helps us uh, provide a lot of feedback and, and sort of help the team. Uh, so we want to be not just the capital partner, but also like a strategic partner early on. Any other points back uh, from your side um, on your typical sweet spot? I think you, you mentioned something around you know, going across the across the spectrum. Yeah, no, it's really this collaboration with our um, our core and and how we can accelerate the uh, the other thing that that comes to mind is um, you know when when um, National Grid Partners has made an investment, you know what have you seen um, to be the key success factors for for the entrepreneur or startup that now has this investment from a large strategic, um, what are some of the things that that you think have really made certain projects very successful and how, what are the learnings yeah. there? Yeah, so a couple of things. Again, it's uh, it also depends on whether it's, uh, you know, what stage the startup is in. Uh, for the early stage ones, uh, it's no different from what a typical VC uh, would consider as the key drivers for for the success, right? Uh, and we want to be very aligned with uh, sort of financial investors. Um, and you always start with the team. It it's, it seems like so overplayed, but uh, in many ways we are uh, the biggest on the team. Uh, there are two schools where. Uh, one school is that's on the team early on, and there's another school which really talks about. Um, placing a bet on the problem that you want to go solve. There's no one right thing. I think um, given that we look for technology modes uh, for within the startup to be successful in the early stage, we are already dealing with uh, technology risk. Uh, and if it's technologies that are addressing critical infrastructure, uh, you also have a little bit of product risk around that. Uh, and then, for, given its early stage, there is always, uh, you know, sort of um, market risk, right? So, um, the best resource that is uh, equipped to deal with this is the team. So, we really, at the early stage, really, really look for teams that uh, understand the space uh, and potentially have done it before, but uh, we're more than happy to partner with uh, first time entrepreneurs but teams that are extremely comfortable with the problem um, uh, problem that they're trying to solve. And like I mentioned, some sustainable differentiated something. Uh, it could be technology, which is the obvious one, but it could also be product. You may, uh, you may be building something which has natural modes around, uh, around the product itself. Um, we typically don't uh, look for sort of opportunities where the team is sort of first to market uh, and that is their meaning will perpetually be six months ahead of the comp uh, competition is is i'm not saying that's a bad uh, strategy per se but that's not uh, our personal mandate uh, to to go and invest how do you look at uh, sort of evaluating some of these uh, opportunities for yourself yeah, no, I think we, yes, certainly we look a lot at the team and then, um, 
of course, and really a fit with um, our our values. And so actually first it has to be alignment with our purpose. And so the future, you know, accelerating the future of energy. So we're not gonna stray uh, from that. And then yes, the team is a really important part of it. And, and what we've found is, so AES has a, a style internally, uh, we call it, a, it's a value that we have for how we work together, but collaboration is incredibly important. And so we have a value called all together. And um, that's really important as we're looking with new um, at new investments is, is the team that's part of this technology or solution going to be a good um, collaborator? Can they work all together with AES? And, and, you know, I'll be honest that we have had to work on this over the years. So, and you know this, when you're a part of a really large company, there's a lot of um, requirements that come along with that. You know, we've got a lot of financial reporting requirements. We've got all kinds of environmental health and safety requirements. We have compliance, we have all kinds of legal programs. And, and so what we've needed to do over the years is figure out the way to right size our interaction with earlier stage companies so that we're not overwhelming the team with our requirements on top of the very important job that the team's already managing, which is, you know, getting this technology off the ground and finding the proof of proof of solution, commercial viability, and then that path to scale. And so we've worked hard over the years to kind of right size our, our touch with, with the earlier stage companies. One thing that we found um, is once an investment is made, you really need to identify the people within the core who are going to adopt the new technology and be champions for it. Because oftentimes what we find is, you know, before we make an investment, we think there's a specific um, pathway and application. But what's really cool is that once you get the solution into our portfolio, you can um, apply it in new ways that we hadn't even thought about. And actually, so energy storage is an interesting example of this. Um, we did our first one megawatt project at a substation in Indiana at IPL. We, um, though one of our first larger projects was actually at um, one of our power plants in Chile, which when we implemented the battery was able to help our, our power plant um, release some of its spinning reserves and um, increase basically the utilization of the plant. So, um, um, but when we also had different applications uh, in PJM. And so, you know, we had an idea when the battery business started of how it could be commercialized, but we found more and new and, and even in some cases, better ways of using the technology across the portfolio. And so really finding the people who are gonna be champions for the technology or solution and then helping them work the network to figure out what are the new and better ways that it can be used in many different um, contexts uh, is important. Well, that's, that's uh, yeah, super, super pointed. Uh, I, I, I will give a shout out to uh, two people, two, um, but one person and one team. Uh, so Lisa Lambert, who actually runs the, um, runs the ventures team, uh, is also sort of uh, the innovation person within National Grid. The way, um, you know, when, when she pulled the team together, a big emphasis was on what you just mentioned, which is having a separate, separate BD team, a business development team, effectively sit with the ventures team, but 
like be um, connected to the internal business unit. So the so we have a um, super accomplished uh, BD team whose only mandate is to find the right resources within the within the broader uh, national grid business units to match them with the startup or the portfolio company. So uh, at that early stage, uh, we feel like you now have, as a startup, you now have a BD resource that can find you um, find you resources within the, within the businesses to validate and you know get you the POC that you need and get you going. So that that seems like um, a, a big portion of what you know. It's not just uh, capital. It's not just uh, a typical investor's presence in the board, but it's also a, sort of a BD business development partner. Uh, especially at that early stage. Let's see, I think we, we have a good set of questions uh, that we've addressed. Uh, um, can, can, um, can you, um, can you uh, just pulling the thread around the partnering with the startups itself, uh, can you touch a little bit on how else you sort of engage with the, with the startups, whether it's portfolio companies or even outside ecosystems to, to sort of, um, sort of option some of these newer technologies and sort of introduce them to the internal, internal, yeah, internal business units. Sure. So um, we do have our our AES Next team, which is really our our market facing group, who um, looks at a. So we have a a scan of the market and new um, opportunities and technologies ongoing. And so part of it is we want to have you know the best sense possible of what's emerging and how that could affect us and sort of what's the opportunity associated with that. And so um, most of our relationships form that way. And you know usually what we're doing is starting to starting to reach out and kind of understand new solutions and technologies, and then kind of figure out hmm, is there a way that this could potentially be applied. Um, is there a way that we can kind of test this and see if it works for one of our businesses? And then that's really the starting point for a lot of our relationships um, that then can grow grow from there. How about for you? Any um, further thoughts on that one? No, yeah, it, it's it's uh, it's around that BD function, right? I, I, I you know, yeah. I said uh, teams placed a lot of emphasis and, uh, and these are, these are individuals who who are sort of uh, attached at the hip with the business units, and it's a, there's a push and a pull uh, inside out, outside, and all of those things going on, where they have excellent understanding of key um, key individuals more than anything else who can step in and sort of shepherd the startup through the maze that a typical utility can be. Um, uh, so at that early stage, it becomes uh, phenomenally uh, phenomenally useful and a value add. Okay, uh, I think we are kind of uh, getting close to, yeah, close to wrapping up. Uh, love to hear any final thoughts. Uh, yeah, I mean, my, my final thought is, I just think this is such um, an exciting moment for energy and for the electric utility sector, you know, the this is a really important industry. It's you know fundamental to the foundation that we need as a society, and it's been around for a long time. And we do things 
the way we do them for a good reason. But you know, this is a really exciting moment. And so I'm just encouraged, you know, there's a lot of opportunity for early stage technologies and startups. And I do encourage you to not give up and, and be a part of the future of energy. What about you, Razi? Super. No, I think uh, uh, why now is always you can you can you know you know VCs are very fond of saying no. Uh, a lot of times it's uh, you know why now, right? It's it's always that question that trips uh, the VCs themselves uh, uh, internally. So uh, in that sense, uh, this um, sort of the broader energy infrastructure side nobody will ask you why now, because everybody knows that this is being fundamentally reinvented. And, and uh, um, so you're never gonna get this why now question. So you're already one step ahead. Uh, I'm just personally extremely thankful given the time that we live in that, that entrepreneurs are, you know, literally putting their, uh, putting their, uh, you know, soul and like the whole life online and actually building, building that, that startup that they want to go, you know, sort of make a dent in the university well. Uh, and the the very interesting thing is typically in these downturns, uh, that's when uh, whether it's correlation or uh, causality, let's not even get into that. But these are the times when some of the massive startups get get built. So uh, I, I understand we are in a very difficult. You know, we're all going, I mean, you know, blessed uh, to have these opportunities, but uh, uh, I know it's difficult times, but remember that these are great times to be starting a company. Um, yes, kudos to the grit and all that that uh, entrepreneurs show, but it's also, um, you know, these, these are things that happen, um, come together once, uh, once in a lifetime, so. Well said, I agree. Thank you so much for listening and thank you again to Nyserda for making this podcast possible. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. It would be great if you could please provide us your feedback by completing the survey we have in the podcast description. You can subscribe and find more episodes wherever you get your podcasts and check our NECC YouTube channel as well. We look forward to sharing our upcoming 2021 podcasts with you. Stay tuned at NECC.org.